First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning, church, and welcome to our iCampus as well. I'm so thankful to be here with you today. And before we jump into God's Word together, uh, I'm excited to be able to share with you a little bit about the next step of our regathering plan. Uh, After three months this year of not being able to physically gather together for worship, uh, we began having our worship services again back in June. Uh, And then our second step uh, of our regathering came a few weeks after that when we added uh, preschool at two of our three services. Uh, But next week, we are ready to move to step three and resume several of our uh, ministries. Uh, There are still some things that we're going to hold off on a little bit uh, longer, possibly until the first of the year. Uh, One is our Wednesday night supper. Of course, we want to be kind of careful when it comes to food right now with everything going on and some of our other Wednesday night activities as well. Uh, Sunday mornings will still not look totally uh, normal quite yet. Uh, But I am excited that many things are coming back. And again, they'll start next Sunday morning. You can see on the slide uh, behind me that starting next Sunday morning, we'll have preschool at all three of our morning worship services rather than just at two. Uh, Our kids ministry Sunday school classes for first through sixth graders will resume as well at the 10 o'clock and 11.30 hour, which is when they met uh, before. Uh, We are asking uh, parents to help us by RSVPing just for the first few weeks, uh, just so we can help to manage the class sizes and make sure we have adequate space uh, for distancing, along with some of the other uh, precautions that we're going to be taking with our children. Uh, Also, our Reclaim student ministry will be resuming as well for our 7th through 12th grade students. They're going to meet at 10 o'clock, just as they did before. And then with regard to our adult small groups as well, uh, most of our groups have have been able to find, even during this time, some creative ways to keep meeting, either in backyards or on Zoom. Uh, Some have begun uh, reserving space uh, on the evenings during the week uh, through all of this. But starting next week, uh, we are opening up the opportunity for our adult groups, both our Sunday school classes and our uh, life groups, uh, to begin meeting again on Sunday morning when childcare is available. Uh, the rooms that we'll be using will be over in our uh, student center and in our freestanding education building. Uh, we're going to hold off on using the rooms that are in this uh, circle immediately around the worship center for right now, uh, just so we can continue to keep the hallways less congested during the transition times between our services. Uh, so that is to say, you might not be meeting in uh, the same room that you met before or at the same time that you met before, but the important thing is that we will be meeting again. And so next Sunday is a big day for our church here at First Baptist Melbourne, an exciting day uh, as we take one step closer uh, to fully uh, reopening all of our ministries. And so church, before we open God's word uh, today, I just want us to take a minute and just to pray. Uh, One, just to thank the Lord who has watched over us through the steps of our regathering to this point, but also just to commit even these plans for next week uh, to the Lord and to ask him to continue uh, to keep us in his grip. And so if you are uh, physically able to, I want to invite you to join me on your knees just for a time of prayer before we open God's word. Father, we bow before you as the God of angel armies. Lord, even as we will see in your word today, Your armies encircle us. You are always 
with us. And Father, we have seen that on display this year through all of the trials that have come. Lord, you have protected and watched over your people here in this place. And Father, we give you praise and we give you thanks for all that you have done. Lord, we pray even for this next Sunday and some of the ministries that will be resuming. We ask that you would continue to keep our church in your hands. Father, you would bless and protect and guard the health of your people in this place. Father, that you would watch over us. Lord, we pray that you would, even during these days, use us on mission. Father, we know we are surrounded by so many, even right where we live, who don't yet know you, don't yet have a relationship with you. Father, would you use our church, Father, as we are scattered during the week to share the hope and the joy and the life that we have because of you. Father, we pray today as we open your word that you would open our eyes, that we would see you, that we would know, Father, that you are here and that you are working for your glory even now. In Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. And now, church family, would you turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. We are taking a break today for one week from our Grace Wins series as this is our fall vision day. And it's a chance for us as a church to just pause for for a week and to reflect on where we are, what God is doing in our church, what we believe God will do in the future. I'm excited about the story in God's word that he's led me to this morning because I think it speaks so clearly to everything we're dealing with in this crazy year called 2020. It's a story about God's prophet Elisha and his servant, and it even has some chariots of fire thrown in as well. This is a great, great story. Let's read it together, and then we'll see what we can take away from it. 2 Kings 6, starting in verse 8. The Word of God says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. And so it was, when they had come to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink, and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. And if you look back at the first verse of the story that we read, verse 8, the story opens with the king of Syria, most likely a man named Ben-Hadad, who is wanting to start a war against Israel. And apparently his plan was sending these little uh, raiding parties into certain towns in Israel to pillage and to plunder and to increasingly make inroads into Israeli territory. Uh, At the beginning of the story, we as the readers are uh, allowed to come into the king's war cabinet meeting. We're allowed to eavesdrop on what he's saying to his top military men. And he was telling them, hey, let's, let's set up our camp over in such and such a place. And yet, no matter how many times he did that, no matter where he tried to set up his camp, his plans were always foiled. And verse 9 tells us why that was happening. It says, the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. And so every time the Syrians made a plan, the Lord supernaturally revealed that plan to the man of God, the prophet Elisha, who then went and told the king of Israel, who then was able to take precautions. Thanks to the prophet Elisha, Israel was always one step ahead of the enemy. Uh, In verse 10, it says it didn't just happen once or twice. It happened over and over again. And so by verse 11, the king of Syria is fed up with it. And so he calls his cabinet back together and he lets them have it. Because all he can figure is that one of his top uh, leaders uh, must be a spy. One of them must be divulging his uh, battle secrets and running off to tell the king of Israel because that's the only way he can figure that they keep getting outmaneuvered every time. You can imagine why the king of Syria thought that that what was happening, but of course he was wrong. And somehow one of his servants knew the truth and told the king. It wasn't any of them that were traitors and were telling the king of Israel, but instead... There was a man of God in Israel uh, that uh, was informing on him and his plans every single time. And I love the end of verse 12 where the servant tells the king that this man of God even knows what you're saying in your own bedroom. And doesn't matter how secretive you want to be, God keeps telling him what's happening and he knows about it. And of course he did. And the Lord is using his prophet to protect 
his people. You, you would think that this information might give the Syrians some pause, right? You would think they, they might think, well, if, if we're doing battle against God now, then maybe we should stop and uh, maybe we should fight against somebody else. But they didn't take the hint. Instead, the king of Syria decides he's going to go and capture Elisha, perhaps just to capture him or to kill him, uh, and to take him out of the way so he would stop giving away their secrets. Uh, I'm thinking that the king of Syria had not heard the story about what happened back in 2 Kings chapter 1 when a different king tried to capture Elisha's predecessor named Elijah. And that king kept sending 50 troops at a time to try to get Elijah to come down from this hilltop. And every time he sent 50 more troops, a fireball literally came out of heaven and burned up the 50 men. Now, either he didn't hear that story or maybe he had forgotten it, but uh, he, there is no way that God was going to let this king capture his prophet Elisha. But King Hadad is going to try anyway. And so he sends his men out. They do a little recon mission and they come back and said, we know where Elisha is. We have his location verified. He's pinned down in the city of Dothan. Now for my Southern friends, that is not Dothan, Alabama. This is Dothan in Israel. It's about 10 miles north of the capital of Israel at that time, which was the city of Samaria. So in verse 14, the Syrian king sends horses and chariots and a great army to surround the city of Dothan. And, and you read that and you think, man, this seems like overkill. And it seems like a lot of people to just try to capture one dude. Uh, but actually, since God was on Elisha's side, the truth is the Syrian king didn't send nearly enough people, did he? And so they come by cover of nightfall. They surround and encircle the city of Dothan. The next morning, Elisha's servant gets up really early. He walks outside. And in the morning light, he's able to make out the shape and form of troops and horses and chariots. And that is not typically what you're hoping to see first thing in the morning. You're not hoping to wake up and see an enemy has encircled your house and your camp, uh, has you entirely surrounded. He probably thought that he was about to be killed. That, that was the situation that was facing Elisha and his servant when the morning dawned. But here's the thing, and this is the first reality that I want us to see in this story. In 2020, it's easy for us, I think, to feel an awful lot like Elisha's servant felt. In 2020, God's people also feel surrounded and outnumbered by many threatening forces. When we walk outside our door and we look at the hillsides that are surrounding our world right now, out of all of the things that threaten us, I'm sure that COVID-19 is the first thing that comes to all of our minds in 2020. And when we started this year back in January, none of us could have imagined how our lives were going to come to a screeching halt come the month of March, how schools were going to go online, how businesses and restaurants were going to be closed, how people would be laid off or forced to work at home, some who are still working from their homes. And yet when I think about how the coronavirus threatens us, it isn't even just the health risk alone, which of course is a part of it, but, but it's so much more than that. I think about the way that the virus and our collective response to it as a society has threatened us emotionally, 
and relationally and spiritually. Extended periods of isolation, of being separated from others. For believers, being separated from our church family has been such a challenge. We, we know that God has hardwired us for relationships with others. And while we have pulled away from others in many cases because we felt like we had to to protect our health or the health of, uh, of others, we've done that to protect our physical health, and, and yet our emotional and mental health has suffered. And the statistics that we're seeing bear that out. And I think also about the spiritual drift that has happened for many, many believers. Of course, we have many who are physically worshiping with us today, many others who are worshiping with us online until uh, conditions improve. But I was amazed. I saw a study the other day that said that one-third of evangelical Christians in America have not done either one of those things for the last six months. That one-third of evangelical Christians have neither attended a service or even watched a service online since the month of March. That's six months, half a year. And church family, that is not good because we need the Word of God. And we need worship. And we need to assemble with others. We need to hear and be encouraged by other believers. We need that to be able to live out this Christian life, the way that God has called us to. When I think about what threatens the church more broadly speaking through this coronavirus, I also see how the enemy is using this pandemic in some parts of the country to try to prevent churches from meeting at all. Even in places where businesses and restaurants are open, even in some places where casinos are open, and yet the church is being told to stay closed indefinitely. I think about Pastor John MacArthur and his church, Grace Church in California. I would ask you to pray for this brother, to pray for his flock, to pray for other churches that are in a similar situation. And I, and I want you to know, church, I know we're not living in one of those states where our freedom to worship is being challenged in that way, and I'm so thankful for that. But if it were, and if we were in a place where we were being told to still not gather for worship for an indefinite period of time, I believe that I'd be doing exactly what John MacArthur is doing at this very moment. Early on in this pandemic, our pastoral team met and, and prayed, and we were willing at that time to move our services online because everyone at that time was being asked not to meet in groups. It was for the sake of everyone's health. It was being done in an even-handed way, or so it appeared. And because of our love of neighbor, we were willing to go along with that for a season of time. But there does come a time when what is being done is no longer even-handed. When the church is being singled out for attack and when churches are being told in some places not to worship for an indefinite amount of time, then there comes a place where the church needs to rise up and say like the early church did in the book of Acts, we must obey God rather than man. Our God has commanded us to come together and to worship. It is something worth sacrificing for. And so if we are fine, then we are fined. If we are in prison, then we are imprisoned. We do realize, hopefully, that we have brothers and sisters around the world who have been killed 
because they would rather worship publicly with other Christians than not worship at all, even though they're living in countries where public worship is illegal. And all these different ways, COVID-19 has been one of the things surrounding us and threatening us. Of course, it's not the only thing. There's also the racial tension and divide, the unrest that we see in our nation that burdens, I know, all of our hearts. On top of that is, is the political tension in our country where everything has been politicized. As we get closer to this election in November and as those tensions get higher, we all know that there is no way of telling how whatever side that loses and one of the two will lose is going to react to that loss. It is possible that things could get even uglier than they are now, and I think we all know that. And so in light of all that's going on, in light of all of these threatening forces that are surrounding us, it's only natural that our first response would be like Elisha's servant and the way he reacted. Look at the end of verse 15. He starts out by saying, alas, my master, what shall we do? Now the word alas basically means, oh no. (laughs) Oh no. Now haven't we all been saying that a lot in 2020? Right? We've been saying that all year, right? Oh no, we can't go to school anymore. Oh no, we can't meet for church anymore. Oh no, our business can't be open. And then we realize, oh no, this isn't going to last just for a month or two. And it's September and we're still dealing with it. Oh no is something we've all said or thought hundreds, not thousands of times in 2020. But we've also been saying the second thing Elisha's servant said too. What shall we do? Everybody has been asking that question in 2020. What shall we do? Should we open our business or not open our business? Should we go be around our parents or our grandparents or not be around them? Should we send our kids to school or or not? What, What shall we do? What do we do when things surrounding us and threatening us are things that we've never dealt with before, at least not in this exact way, and we don't know how to handle it? What we're doing is we're saying to God the same thing Elisha's servant said to Elisha. We're asking God, what shall we do? And that's, that's not a bad thing. In fact, we know that we always need to be asking God, what should we do? And not relying on our own understanding. And yet also there can come a place where we get so overwhelmed that what fills our hearts as we ask that question is not faith, but fear. And not even just a normal fear, but a, a paralyzing kind of fear. A, a fear that leads us to a place where we just don't want to decide anything. We just don't want to do anything. We just don't want to change anything. And of course, that's not where the Lord wants us to be. He doesn't want us to just be standing there looking at the enemies arrayed on the hillside, paralyzed and unable to move. And I'm afraid that spiritually speaking, that's where many believers in 2020 have been for the last six months. And so what do we do? How do we move forward? How do we move forward with faith instead of fear? That leads me to the second reality, the second takeaway from this story. In 2020, what God's people need is what Elisha's servant needed. We all need spiritual sight. Spiritual sight to see that our great God is here and that he is always working. 
In verse 16, Elisha responds to his frightened servant. The words that he speaks to him are words we need to hear today. Look at verse 16. He answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. God is saying that to us today, I believe. Church, do not fear. And for the very same reasons, because those who are with us are more than those that are with them. Now, I know that in this story, this was literally true, right? The, the troops, the chariots of fire that surrounded Elisha were more numerous and more powerful than the enemy forces. I know in our country today, we might look out and feel outnumbered. And in one sense, we are. Christians in America today are no longer the majority, but Christians in America today are what the church has been in most of the world for the last 2,000 years. We are a prophetic minority in a country that is putting its fingers in its ears and running away from the Lord as fast as it possibly can. But just like Elisha and his servant, the Lord God Almighty and his angel armies are with us. Here's what God's word says in Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Church, it wasn't just for Elisha that the Lord encircled him. It is for us right now. And nothing can ever happen to us who are called by his name unless the Lord allows it, unless it is a part of his good plan for us and for his glory. And we can rest in the truth of his sovereign control of all that is taking place. We may feel outnumbered and overpowered. We may feel that way, but it's actually never the case because here's what John wrote to us in 1 John chapter 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And that is the truth. That is the reality. No matter what we feel like, God Almighty who lives in us is greater than the enemy who is in the world. He is greater by an infinite measure than everything we face. And so we literally have nothing to fear as God's children. But just like Elisha's servant, we need spiritual eyes to be able to see that. That's why Elisha prayed what he prayed in verse 17. Look at what he prayed for. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know what's really neat to think about? It isn't that those horses and chariots of fire appeared when Elisha prayed. The truth is, those chariots of fire were already there. And Elisha had already seen them. That's why he's praying what he's praying for the servant who's standing beside him. He's praying, Lord, would you open his eyes so that he could see the spiritual reality that I am already looking at, that we are not outnumbered, but those who are with us are more than those who are with them. But the thing is, most people in our country today do not have spiritual eyes to see. Their eyes are blind and closed to spiritual realities. They can only see the physical. They can only see the threats and the 
problems and the unrest. That's all that they can see. Well, that's what everybody can see. And if we're not careful, even as believers in Christ, we can get to a place where because of all of the circumstances swirling around us, we forget about the Lord who's with us. Maybe you remember a few weeks ago, we talked briefly about the story where Jesus and the 12 disciples were um, sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus was asleep in the boat, and a great storm swept up on the Sea of Galilee, and it was such a great storm that these disciples, many of whom were fishermen all their lives, thought that they were about to die. And so in their panic state, they wake Jesus up, and Jesus, of course, is not alarmed at all. He looks out at the uh, storm, and he says, peace, be still, and in a moment, the storm is gone. But then Jesus turns to his disciples and he rebukes them. You remember that? And he said to them, you of little faith. Why? Because they were seeing with their physical eyes, but not with their spiritual eyes. They saw the storm. They saw the seas. They saw the waves. They saw all of that, everything that was happening outside the boat. But they forgot about the person that was standing with them inside the boat. And if we're not careful, church, in 2020, we can do exactly the same thing. I'm afraid I've fallen into that and in 2020 sometimes, just kind of going over in my mind all the things that haven't gone right. Has anybody else done that this year, right? All the plans that I had that didn't go anywhere near the way that I thought that they were going to go. And sometimes it's easy to get to a place where you just think, man, 2020 is such a terrible year. I, I, can't, I just can't wait to 2021. Right? People have never looked forward to New Year's Eve as much as they're looking forward to it this year, right? To turn, turn the page. Of course, there are things this year that we should mourn. We, we should mourn, and of course, we do mourn with all of the families who have lost loved ones due to this virus. We, we should mourn with those who have lost work and are facing uncertainty because of this and so many other things that people are dealing with. And yet with that said, we don't want to fall into that trap where all that we see are the difficulties, where all that we see are the problems outside of the boat and we forget about the Lord who's inside the boat. And so church, is it possible that if we allow him to, that the Lord could change our perspective? That the Lord could open our eyes to see that he is here and that our great God has been at work in 2020, because he has. He's been at work in our individual lives. I know he's been at work in mine. Revealing idols to me. Things that have had too big of a place in my heart. He's been refocusing my heart and my mind on him, rekindling my worship and my prayer life. There's so much that he's shown me this year that, that I don't know that he would have been able to show me unless everything else in my life came to a halt. I'm sure many of you can say the same thing. But I think about also how he's been at work in our families. And I was talking with my wife Megan sometime back about this and, and I don't think I've ever had more time with my sons than I've had this year. Because they had that six month long spring break. Spring break that never ended. And because of that, we got to spend a lot of time with them. There were no sports to run off to every night. So we got to be together. Got to invest in them. Through that we've seen God do great things in each of their hearts.
Think about that. Think about the ways God has worked in your family, even through this strange year. And then I know our great God has also been at work in 2020 in our church. This past week, I asked the pastors to email me and send me a list of some of the victories, things that God has done in 2020. And boy, did they ever respond. They sent back a list. It was more than a page long. And I can't even read. I don't even have time right now to read all of the things that they shared. But let me just hit some of the highlights. First, we've seen many people saved this year, including many children who are part of families in our church. We've been, we've been joking with Jason Mull, our kids pastor, that uh, we might as well take away the whole children's ministry budget because clearly more people are getting saved when we don't have any ministry going on than, than when we do. And of course, we're just kidding, Pastor Jason. We're not going to do that. But actually what we attribute it to is that parents have been doing what we just talked about, spending more time with their kids, having spiritual conversations with them that the Lord has used to draw many people to Christ. It's been amazing this year also that we've seen nearly 100 people join the church, even though we didn't even meet for half of the year. It's been amazing also to see the iCampus ministry started that many are watching on right now, something we never had before, a full broadcast online of our entire worship service. It started thanks to our tech team during these months. During this shutdown, we were also, as a church, able to feed about 150 families every Sunday night because of the food that you brought week after week after week. We've been able to bless the community through two blood drives with 100 of our people participating. Our church planning program called Launchpad has moved forward, and our church is now one of four training centers across the state of Florida that they're pointing people to to train for church plants. As you heard earlier, progress has been made on the building aspect of greater things as well. The site plan for our new building just being approved four days ago. It's been amazing also this year just to see the generosity of our church. That even though for months we weren't able to meet at all, even though right now hundreds of our people still are not able to meet and are watching right now online, and yet in spite of all of that, your faithfulness has been amazing to see. I've seen senior adults who, who aren't at a place yet where they're able to come and physically worship with us, and yet what they do is during the week, they'll drive up to the front of the church under the carport so they can bring in their tithe and give it to the Lord. It's amazing to watch that. See how God has sustained our ministries and our staff during this, this year. Like I said earlier, our small groups have been finding creative ways to be able to meet throughout the year this year has reminded us, 2020 has taught us, if it's taught us anything, that the church is not a building and the church is not an event, but that the church is the people of God. We're still the church whether we can meet or we can't meet. And so instead of looking back on 2020 and thinking, what a terrible year, I can't wait to turn the page. What if the Lord worked in our heart in such a way that we could actually say and mean it, thank you, Lord, for 2020? It wasn't what we wanted. It certainly wasn't what we planned. But you are God and we are not. And Lord, when, when you open our spiritual eyes, what we see is you. And we see your horses and we see your chariots of fire all around us. And we know that God, you are still on the move. 
Here's the last thing I want us to see. As we look at the end of the story of Elisha in 2020, God's people can praise our great God together because we know that he will win the victory. Clearly in this story, he wins the victory through Elisha for God's people. And it's interesting to me though that even though these angel armies, these chariots of fire were there, and they were there I think to assure Elisha of God's protection, The same chariots of fire that years before he had seen take his predecessor Elijah up to heaven were now there to protect him. And yet, isn't it interesting that the battle was not won by the chariots of fire? The battle was won by prayer. That Elisha simply asked God to blind his enemies and God said yes. And no matter what lies ahead in the coming months that we have no idea about, that only the Lord does, church, we need to remember that. Kingdom victories come when God's people pray. We must never forget that prayer is our most powerful weapon. And I've marveled this year at how many specific prayers that I have prayed that God has answered. Prayers for unity, prayers for protection, prayers for provision, prayers for health. I know many of you can say precisely the same thing. When God's people pray, he answers because he wants to answer. He wants to show himself strong on behalf of those who believe that he is a big God who wants to do big things even still. And so kingdom victories come when God's people pray. Kingdom victories come also when God's people show grace to the world. That's how the story ends, isn't it? In verse 19, Elisha tells the Syrian troops, even though they're there looking for him, he said, this is not the way. This is not the man you're looking for. It reminds me of of Obi-Wan and Star Wars, right? This is not the droid you're looking for. And, And in their blinded state, he leads them 10 miles away to the city of Samaria. Now, some people have said that this was a ruse of war, and I guess in some ways it was, but... If you look at it carefully, though, Elisha didn't actually lie. He said, I will lead you to the man that you're looking for, which was him. And he went with them. And so when they opened their eyes in the city of Samaria, Elisha was standing right in front of them. And yet, how surprised they must have been when they opened their eyes and realized they were in the middle of the capital of Israel with Israel forces all around them. They were completely at their disposal. And I'm sure they thought they were about to die. And Israel's king, Jehoram, wanted to kill them. You notice that he says uh, in verse 21, can I kill them? Can I kill them? Right? Pretty please. Can I please kill them? That's what he wanted to do. And yet Elisha wouldn't let him. Elisha reminds him that it wouldn't have been right to do that even if he had captured them as prisoners of war. And this wasn't even that situation. He hadn't captured these guys on the battlefield. God had miraculously, supernaturally put them on his doorstep And so Elisha recommends that he kill them with kindness. He tells the king to give them water to drink and bread to eat. And amazingly, because Jehoram on the whole was an evil king, amazingly, in this instance, he does even more than what Elisha the prophet asked. Verse 23, it says, He gave them a great feast and then sent them home. Church, again, I know that we're up against threats and obstacles that sometimes feel overwhelming. There are tensions that are so high all around us in our culture. And the need of the hour is for the people of God 
who are filled with his love and have experienced his grace to show grace to those that we meet. This is what this Grace grace Win series is all about that we've been going through as a church because grace has won in our life. We need to let grace win through us in the lives of others. And so when people are rude to us, has that happened to anybody in 2020 so far this year? When people are rude to us, we as believers are not to respond in kind, but we're to return blessing for cursing, love for hate. And when someone is short with us, we are to do the unexpected thing. We are to be gracious. We are to show kindness. And when we do that, just like it happened in this story, people could experience peace instead of conflict. Peace with us, but far more importantly, we need to pray that through our witness and our kindness that they would find peace with God that comes through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Church, when I think specifically about who the Lord would call us to show grace and kindness to, very quickly, there's three groups of people that come to my mind right now, this fall. First is our ones. At the beginning of the year, we ask you to think about who is your one? Who's the one person more than anybody else that you are praying to see come to know Christ? Church, we don't have to wait for a building to be built to share with them. We don't have to wait for a virus to be over to share with them. The time to love them and share the gospel with them is now. Secondly, God has put it on our heart years ago to show his grace and kindness to homeless women and children through the treehouse across the street from the church. This has been a project that we've been working on for several years in partnership with a great organization called Brevard Rescue Mission that now has just changed their name to New Life Mission. And the time is now to get this ministry up and running and so be looking for work days to be announced in the next few months. We've already completed the work outside of the home. Now we're moving inside of the home. So there'll be opportunities to get involved in the next few months. The New Life Mission is ready to staff this facility after the first of the year. And so we could be, we pray we are, only months away potentially from women and children living there and being changed by the grace of God. I want to ask you to pray with us about that. And the final group of people the Lord has laid on our hearts this fall are our teachers. And we know, I know there's many teachers in this room or listening right now. We know that teachers always have a difficult job, always have a hard job. But this year in particular, teachers' jobs are so difficult. And we want to do what we can as a church to come alongside them, to encourage them. Pastor Doug last week shared about our Go Team project this fall. While we may not be able to go to the nations this fall, we can go to the city of Melbourne where where we live. And so on tables at all four doors as you leave today, you're going to see packets laying there that, that look like this. And some of these packets contain the names of teachers in our own church family, no matter what school they may teach at. Now, some of these packets have, this one has a Mel High Bulldog on it. It has the name of a teacher that teaches at Mel High inside. We have in these packets the names of every teacher at Mel High, every teacher at Stone Magnet Middle School, and every teacher at Riviera Elementary. So basically the closest elementary school, middle school, and high school to where our church is located. The names of almost 300 teachers that we're asking you to adopt this morning. 
We're asking that uh, each family would take one or more of these packets this morning. There's a prayer card inside of them. We're asking you to take that card, to put it up on your refrigerator, put it in your Bible somewhere where you'll see it and pray for them. And by taking that packet, you're committing to do that, to pray for this teacher by name throughout the school year. Also inside the packet, you'll see a blank card that we're asking you to write a note on, a note of encouragement to put back into that envelope and to return it to us. And then if you're able to, if not, it's certainly okay, but if you're able to, we're asking that you might return a donation inside of that envelope as well so that our church can bless these teachers with some funds to be able to buy some school supplies sometime this year. It's just a small gesture, but it's a tangible gesture, a way to show them that they're not alone, a way to show them that there's a church here in Melbourne that cares about them, that loves them, that's praying for them, and that wants to encourage them. It's going to be such a special thing, such a practical way to do what we were just talking about, to show kindness, show grace, and to do it in the name of Christ. Church, I want to ask you to stand with me if you would, and I want to pray for us with all of these things. Father, we come before you as a church, and our prayer is the same as Elisha. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes. Lord, it's so easy to see all the threats, to see all the problems, to see all the difficulties, which are very real. And yet, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the spiritual realities, which are just as real. That we are not alone. That you, the God of angel armies, are all around us. Father, remind us that we are in the grip of your grace and we have nothing to fear at all. Father, this fall, would you use your church in this place in great ways. Father, help us to be on mission. Help us to be a people that would show your grace and your kindness to everyone we meet. That we might point them to you. That we might point them, Father, to the cross where your love was best demonstrated. Father, the cross where our sins were paid for in full by your son, Jesus Christ. The empty tomb where your son rose again on the third day that we might have life. So Father, use us, go before us, and no matter what lies ahead, help us to see you and to keep our eyes fixed on your throne. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen.